Good morning. Had an interesting morning this morning. I usually don't go to sleep very early on Saturdays. I kind of stay up and go through my notes and, and change them every five minutes. Think, no, that won't work. No, I want to say this. And, and I'm, I'm not a studious kind of a person as you can tell by me just making up the word studious. Uh, I don't think that's a real word. But anyway, I finally went to bed and I, it was probably, don't laugh um, and don't judge, uh, it was probably about 6.30 that I, I went to bed and thought, okay, I'm going to get an hour's sleep. That was my intention. Uh, but just before 7, there was a pounding at our door. And... I heard the dog barking. The dog was going crazy. And I'm like waking up. What's going on? And I hear this pounding and someone's yelling outside my front door. I can't understand. And I woke up for a second. I thought, wait a second. All my boys are out of the, the state. I'm not used to this right now. I've enjoyed peace for a while. I ran to the door and there's this guy without a shirt on pounding on the door, just screaming something that I, I didn't understand. And it sounded like he was saying his brother is in trouble. And I was thinking, he was pointing across the street, and I knew my neighbor. And I asked, is it Eddie? And he's, oh, and I go, well, go over there. I'll be right there. And so as I start to run to get some shoes on to maybe go help my neighbor Eddie, I see that he runs around and jumps over the backyard fence. And then goes to another door, starts pounding on the door, and then goes to the other door. And he's just banging on these doors. And I'm like, uh-uh, this, this can't happen. And then the neighbor, Eddie, who I was thinking he was talking about, I see him jump over the fence as I'm running outside. And so Eddie and I get there as he's running back towards us. And I just came out of the back door. And so the door is a little bit ajar. And he starts to try and run in my house. And I'm like, uh-uh. And so I kind of push him down. And Eddie helps me down. And we hold him down. And, and I think Corrine was inside because I think the door got shut somehow and locked. Uh, <laughs> so I'm at the door, please let me in. <laughs> and so the guy is yelling, but it doesn't make any sense. His words are unintelligible. And then a guy comes across or comes over in the backyard, a, a smaller gentleman who I find out is actually kind of the keeper. There's a home in our neighborhood that takes care of those who have uh, just uh, mental illnesses. And yeah, I didn't know that um, until this morning. Uh, and so we, we take him outside and the neighbors have already called the police. And, and so we kind of settle him down until the police come. And he needs to be settled down because he's out of control. Um, end up talking to the police a little bit, talking to some of our neighbors and find out that this has been happening more frequently. And you know what? That will wake you up quicker than a cup of coffee. <laughs> it will, man. You, you will be so, I'm like, yeah, half hour, I'm good. You know, that's all I needed, man. So every morning, if you guys want to, you know, just give me a shot of adrenaline, just come run over and start pounding on my door. And as I was just thinking, oh my gosh, this is crazy. And there's been a number of things that have just been weighing heavy on my heart that are taking place. And I've just been 
so unable to focus on one thing because I'm thinking of a variety of things. And as I was thinking about this, uh, a friend of mine who's having some difficulties uh, with their, their own son in this area, you know, sends a message and says, remember, this is, this is somebody's son. And, you know, that did cross our hearts and our minds. Of course, the safety of my family was first in priority. But there is so much turmoil and so much struggle. You know, Julie's mom is in the hospital and in serious condition. We want to pray for her. Um, very serious condition. I have friends who are going through just very, very difficult situations and your heart just breaks when you see how difficult things can be and how hard it is sometimes to just live this life. And you wonder, what, what do you need to, to get through? What, what does it take to get past this obstacle and then the next one and the next one? You know, and it takes hope. You have to be able to have hope that God cares even in the midst of this. You know, one of the greatest verses in the scripture is the shortest one where it says Jesus wept. I know we want Jesus to fix things for us. We want him to make people healthy. And we want him to make circumstances better. But they don't always get better. We live in a world that is still fallen and distant from God. And he doesn't say, I'm going to make all things better right now. He says, I will later. But what he does do right now is he gets beside us and he cries with us and he says, I'm here. And I love you. And, and I hope we can embrace that and understand how important that is to hold on to. Because you are going to go through difficult times. It's a part of the world we live in. But remember this, Jesus wept. Jesus cried, just like you cry. And he cries and he hurts when you hurt. And he cares and he says, hold on, I'm with you, I will see you through. And the day will come when he will wipe away the tear. The day will come. And until that day, we have hope. And so we need to hold on to that hope. Okay, shift gears. Now, now, how do I talk about something happy? Uh, I do want to talk about something. I want to talk about the trip to Vizcaino briefly before we get into our study. For those of you who don't know, uh, we had a team that went to Vizcaino this last Monday through Friday. We came back. Some came back a little bit earlier, but we were there basically for a week. And what this was was a pastor's conference where we went down and took care of a group of pastors who were down in Molahe. Look at Dennis is laughing there. Uh, down in the region of Molahe. And these pastors come from really hundreds of miles to be a part of this conference. And this conference was a little bit different than some of the other ones. There was actually a few less people, but a few new people. And it was interesting, the dynamic that was there and the topics that were talked about. What we did is we fed the whole group. We stopped at the Costco. We stayed at Costco for two and a half hours shopping. 
you know, trying to figure out, okay, what do we need? And, and John had it really organized. I blew it. I got like half as many hot dog buns as I was supposed to get and twice as much bread that I was supposed to get. This is because I'm mathematically challenged. Um, but all the food went down there, and our team fed the whole group throughout, throughout the whole week except for the final uh, meal, the final dinner where they served fish tacos that were really, really good, but we took care of everything, and I got so many compliments from the other pastors, from the missionaries who were down there, just what a huge help this is to them that allows them to be actually a part of this conference and and get something instead of be serving everyone. We kind of filled those shoes that they were having to fill for so many years. This is the third year that we've went there, but this has been going on for seven years. Usually what takes place is there's a teaching that goes through one of the books of the scriptures, Uh, but this year we did something different. Last year we went through the book of Galatians and and a number of pastors talk on a certain passage, but this year we did something different. We, We talked about different topics. Bill, who's kind of taken over and headed this up, talked about depression and suicide because one of the pastors who has been going down for years committed suicide this last year and so he shared with the people there who've grown to love this man that he had committed suicide and he wanted to try and explain and investigate why this happens what depression is the things that cause depression how there's depression and guilt that comes over the sin that's in our life that there's depression that comes from people and abuse that we get from people There's depression that comes from our bodies and physiology and how things take place. There's depression that comes from so many areas that can overwhelm us. And once again, there was just hope delivered. But it was a strange thing because you're living in a culture that is very traditional and has set beliefs. And their set beliefs are if you commit suicide, you automatically go to hell. And and Bill challenged that and wanted to engage in a conversation with them to show that, you know, even though this is a sin, even though this is disbelief, God's mercy is still available and stronger. And actually one of the passages we're going to talk about hopefully today is one of the ones that I think gets used a lot in dealing with uh, suicide uh, incorrectly. Um, I spoke on discipleship, kind of touched the things that I did last few weeks in our series, and I also did on how to raise up people and share their faith. And I don't know, my wife always cringes when I speak. Um, I know that doesn't sound good. She just always wonders, what are you going to say? And I don't know why I do this, but I, I like to challenge people. I just feel Jesus did it. You know, he would confront the Pharisees with their traditions and he would say, what about this? And leave it there. And I like to do that too. Um, and, and so I did, but I don't think it went too bad. Um, no one, I don't know what they said. It's Spanish, so I guess I'm okay. Uh, but they stayed around. And I know in the second time when I was speaking about raising up people for ministry, um, 
I really challenged how ministry is done there. You see, usually it's basically kind of a monarchy where the pastor is king and his family is there a part of this monarchy. The wife plays the, the worship and if there's any children, they're part of the elders and basically the family runs the church. And I kind of blasted that and said that if you don't make room for someone who is more gifted than your wife, then you are not honoring the kingdom of God, but you're developing your own kingdom. I know I said that. Um, and, you know, I could see some of the eyes of the wives, especially who I think lead worship, were kind of a, like, what did he say? Uh, but really, this is all about the kingdom of heaven. And what we are trying to do there, and what I was encouraged about while we were down there, is the new people that were there, there was some younger people, younger pastors there, that I know are really wanting to see change from the structure that has been there. It's interesting that there were less people and less wives that were there, and I believe one of the reasons that was the case is because we did two studies on husbands and wives and the role of the husband and the wife, and I think they were concerned because a lot of the husbands have a heavy hand on the women that are over there. And again, what we are trying to do is just bring truth to these people, the truth of Scripture, that they might be set free. There are some great, great teachings there, and there was some good interaction. I had some great conversations with some people, and I really enjoyed the time that was there. I enjoyed those tacos, too. They were really good. But God is doing a work and is using this to really start to change some of the structure and the, the traditions that are down there. And I believe it's something that is worth doing. And I just have to thank the team that went because they worked endlessly. They would get there at 4.30 sometimes in the morning and they would stay until the evening. Uh, they worked endlessly in the kitchen and it was a, a great help to everyone and thank you guys who made it possible for us to get all the food and to be able to drive down there and do this uh, we'll let you know when we are going to again they usually have the conferences in october but i might be doing a young adults thing in january with jeff over in pomona we talked about that a little bit we'll keep you posted as that's coming uh, up but anyway i just wanted to share a little bit and again say thank you to everyone here who was a part of that Okay, let's open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and someone will get you one. Last week, we talked about being mature in Christ and what exactly that meant to be mature in Christ. And we talked about how God has by his spirit revealed things to us, that God is the one who has demonstrated his love through the cross, that the cross of Christ is the wisdom of God, and how important that is for us to embrace and understand. And now Paul is really going to start setting a foundation. He's going to come down pretty heavy on them, he, he's going to challenge them into how they think about church, the church. And I think a lot of people, when they hear the word church, they think it's this human organization, kind of like the PTA or the Elks Club. Do they, do they still have Elks Clubs? They do? 
Oh, well, no matter. I'm not here to talk about Elks Club, okay? I'm talking about the church. You know, it just reminds me of the water buffaloes and the Flintstones, you know? (laughs) They have this organization where people go to, and it's this organization that takes place. But he wants them to grow up in their thinking. He wants them to have the right perspective. And the things that he says are very sobering, and they're also very encouraging. And it's amazing how you can have this dichotomy, this dynamic of being something that kind of hits you between the eyes and at the same time gives you a hope that you had no idea was there. And God is able to do those kinds of things, and it, it's, it's a good thing. And it's an amazing thing that takes place. And so as he talks with them, he's going to come down, and you'll, you'll get the gist of this. Let's start reading in chapter 3, verse 1. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, Are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? He challenges them with this spirituality, this worldliness, this maturity that they were claiming to have, the spirituality that they were claiming to have. And he says, no, you're not spiritual. You're worldly. And the word worldly has to do with fleshly. It has to do with the idea of just naturally moving in your own senses and not governed by the Spirit of God. And he's saying, you're not mindful. You're not seeing things from God's perspective. You're acting just like a man. And then he tells them why they're acting just like a man. He he gives them some reasons, this this sensual attitude that is just controlled by their desires instead of the spirit. He tells them that they're jealous. And and jealousy is, is one of those things that divides people. It tears down another in order to exalt yourself. Jealousy refuses to recognize the talents or gifts of others but it'll always boast in those same, same things that they see in ourselves. And what happens is this perspective keeps your vision on the things of this world, on you and your place, and not on the kingdom of God and the adva- advancement of the kingdom of God. My boys, the twins, when they were little, they were about eight years old. And we would go to Disneyland, the happiest place on earth. And sure enough, we'd be in Disneyland waiting to get on a ride, the Space Mountain, whatever it was, an exciting ride. And here's this great ride that's waiting for us. It's just, we're in the line. And one of my boys had to be first. He had to be. But he was sly. He didn't just go up there first. He just kind of squeezed his way, and he would just put his arm out in front Now, the other twin knew what was going on because they have this little twin thing going on. And he'd go, look at it, he's trying to be first. He's always got to be first. Tell him he can't be first. 
So I tell the one, come on, I'll be first, I'll be first. Why don't you guys get behind me, we'll stop the argument. I'll be first. And I'd be there. And all of a sudden, just right in front of me, their little arm would go out and just put the... <laughs> and he goes, see, he's trying to be first. And here is this ride, this glorious ride. Oh, it's Disneyland waiting to take place. But they're focused on who's going to be first. And you see, it's the same thing that's happening with the Corinthian church. They're jealous. They're showing jealousy. One is saying, I'm of Apollos. The other one, I'm of Paul. I'm of Cephas. And there's this competition. And he says, you're acting like men. You're not mindful of God and what God has for you. You don't realize that there's something incredible going on. All you see is yourself. And, and jealousy leads to quarreling just like it did with boys. I want to be first, and pretty soon they're bickering and fighting. It leads to this, and this is a strong term where he's actually dealing with the nature of a person. He's saying these people are quarrelsome. They want to argue. And, and have you ever met people like that, that just wants to get in trouble? I've talked about this before. Trouble follows them. They walk everywhere, and they're looking for who's looking at them. You mad-dogging me? You know, it's like, dude, we're at Denny's. Chill out, you know. Let's get a Grand Slam breakfast and let's get out of here. But man, they're just on edge. You know, they're looking for a fight. It's this attitude, this nature that's within them. The person who always is getting in trouble, it seems to follow them. They always have this chip on their shoulder. And you see... The church was now being quarrelsome, was jealous, was arguing, was bickering. They weren't moving forward with the gospel. And that's what he's talking about as infants. Remember last chapter, he's talking about this maturity and the wisdom of God that is found in the cross of Christ. Well, they didn't get there. They weren't mature. They were still dealing with each other. And so he had to deal with them the basics that he talked about Christ, the foundation. It's not about Paul, Apollos, or Cephas. It's about Jesus, period. And they're arguing, and it's like you're just babies, and you're not cute babies. That so you go, oh, well, cute. You're, you're adult babies who mess their pants, and it's not cute, and it, it's, it's a problem. And someone has to clean up after you, and I'm here to take care of you and show you what a mess you really are. And he really does come down heavy on them and said, this isn't right. This isn't healthy. You're acting as men, infants, and you're worldly. You're bickering with one another, and you're supposed to be brothers. Well, I'm so glad that that's all changed now, 2,000 years later, and we've put all that behind us. No, it's still a problem. We still argue. We still fight. We still have contention. We still compare ourselves to others. Well, we teach the Bible this way. Oh, well, we have contemporary music. Well, we hold on to this style. Well, we believe what, you know, this pastor teaches. Oh, well, you know, we believe this method. We're Calvinists. We're Armenians. We're Pentecostals. We're Baptists. 
and we have our varieties and we start comparing each other. And now our focus isn't on God. It isn't on the work of God. It's on how we are better than each other. I remember going to a conference that the whole conference talked about how this other church is doing things wrong. And I remember thinking, so what are we supposed to do right why are we focusing on that? When I start focusing on what someone is doing wrong instead of what I'm supposed to be doing right, I think I've, I've entered this place of being worldly. You know, and St. Augustine said, that it was quoted by John Wesley, and I love this quote, it says, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. In the essentials, who Jesus is, what Jesus did, we have to be united. Whether you're Pentecostal, whether you're Presbyterian, whether you're Lutheran, whether you're Catholic, it has to be a foundation of Jesus died and paid the way for us. It's faith in him that we're saved. It's not works of ourselves or we'll just boast. There has to be that that we agree on. But on the other things, the non-essentials, liberty. You want to clap and bark like a dog? Hey, go for it, okay? I'm glad your church is over there, okay? I'm happy for you. I, I, I don't like that, so I go here. You like to get very deep and, and into word studies in the scriptures. You like to be a little bit more topical, Whatever it is, the style, there's some place where you can go, and you know what? It's okay. You can go there. One of the things that takes place when we're down in Mexico is these various churches, they get together for this one time, but I heard one of the people, the missionaries that were down there say, you know, once you guys leave, they don't interact. Only a few of them really do. And it broke my heart, because as I'm studying this passage, I'm going, guys, and they backbite each other and they talk about each other. And they think they're spiritual because of how they go through the scripture, how they conduct themselves, how they're led by the spirit. They think they're spiritual, but they're focused on each other. And Paul would say, you're worldly. You're acting like mere men who don't have the spirit of the living God within you. And he really does blast them in this. In verse 4, he tells them, you say, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. Aren't you men? You're following men. Verse 5, he goes on, he says, what? After all, what after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants. Okay, only slaves. We're slaves. Through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. And so Paul kind of gives this role of the leaders 
And he tells them that we aren't the ones who, who do the work. We come alongside of the one who does the work. And he gives this metaphor of a field, how one plants, one waters. You see, we are assisting. If you were to go up to a farmer and he had a crop of corn, and you went up to him and say, wow, you make corn, huh? He'd say, I, I don't make corn. We, we grow corn. What? You don't make it? You don't get the little yellow things and put them in like that stick and make it happen? No. All we do is cultivate what is given. You see, the kernel, I don't make it die in the soil. And I don't provide the nutrients that are there in the soil. And I don't bring the sun out that provides what it needs to grow or the rain that gives us the water that we can water it with. God does those things. God is the one who makes the corn grow. All I do is assist in his process. I'm just coming alongside and helping him. And I have my role, and it's a role that's to be respected, and it's a role that needs to be taken with diligence because I'm required to do these things. I'm his servant. And, and so he starts to give them this idea of the role of the leaders, and, and some had too high of a view, and some had probably too low of a view as they talked about Paul and kind of ridiculed him, saying he wasn't very learned. And there's the balance, because we are to respect people who are in leadership roles. They're doing a service. I am thankful for the men and women who have given me Things that would help me grow in my spiritual walk. Those teachers who have taught me and have encouraged me in my faith and have helped me to see things and to think things clearly and think things through. But as good as those teachers are, they could not change my heart. They could not change my nature. They could help direct me and open my understanding to these things, but it's the work of God that changes us. And no man can do that. And so have the right understanding. Have respect, but don't place too much respect. Or you start depending on a person. And that's the problem that takes place in many churches. The pastor, the priest, they're the ones who hear from God. They'll tell me what God says. No, you hear from God. Well, they pray. No, you pray. You're a part of this relationship. But they expect the pastor to take care of these things. There's a great scripture in Luke 12, 13 and 15. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, my brother Tell my brother to divide his inheritance with me. He says, Jesus, tell my brother that he needs to split his inheritance and give me my portion. Listen to Jesus' answer. I, I love this, and it, just think about it in the role of leadership. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? I love that. Dude, why do you think I have to fill that role? Well, you're Jesus. You're supposed to fill that role. No, that's not my position. You work it out. You take care of those things. And once again, he's encouraging them to be responsible in how they think of each other and how they deal with one another. 
leaders are of importance, but there has to be a balance. And we tend to swing the pendulum back and forth. We need to recognize the role of the leader, but we need to recognize our responsibility as well. Transformation comes by the work of the Holy Spirit, not by man. If I share something with you that sparks an interest, that maybe gets your mind thinking and provokes you, that's great. But I can't transform you. Only God can. And we have to have this recognition and this understanding. Otherwise, we live in a natural world and God is not interacting with us and we miss out on what God is doing and we're acting like babies. And we have to keep getting fed milk because that's all we can handle because we're so focused on these things. The idea of milk and stronger meat is the idea of you being quarrelsome, being mindful only of the things that you see in your position as opposed to being mindful of the things of God. It has nothing to do with how well you study the Bible. It has to do with you living in obedience to what the scriptures say. And so if we're going to grow up, we need to move forward into this place, recognizing that only God can change a person's heart. There's a beautiful scripture in 1 Samuel 10.9. It says, as Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart. There are times where I need my heart changed. There are times where that's what I really need, God, because I am bent in the wrong direction. I am pursuing the wrong things. I am being self-consumed. God, change my heart. I find myself in a circumstance, and I'm accusing people, and I'm accusing God, and I'm only saying things here, and I need God to change my heart. Give me a different perspective so I see that, you know, my problems aren't this big, and God's this big. God is this big, and my problems really are really small. And God says, that's not a problem for me. Trust me. I will see you through. But if we're not mindful of those spiritual things, we will be blinded and live natural lives. He then goes on and changes the metaphor. He says, God's field, God's building. It's kind of strange. All of a sudden, he goes from the you know, agrarian culture to now the metropolitan culture. Um, verse 10, he says, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it, but each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is. I love that. Because the day will bring to light, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. And, and so now he, he goes to this other metaphor and he talks about the responsibility of having the right attitude. That you have to 
be doing things for the right reason? Why do we do what we do? What's our motivation? What's the foundation that I'm leaning my weight on? Is it really on God and on the things of God? Or is it on my kingdom? I want to receive some recognition. I want to receive some glory. I I want to have my place. You know, we all like to be thought of in, in good ways. But what is my motivation? Is that what I'm really seeking? And we live in a society that has this celebrity pastor status, where some of these pastors are like stars. You know, and it's like, well, going to heaven is great, but if I could just sit down and have coffee with him, that would be even better. You know, it's like, what's going on here? We idolize people. And it can happen to pastors too. They can want to be idolized. And you have to say, why am I doing this? Because if it's with the right motive and the right reason, then it's valued, precious metal that when it goes through the fire, it will last, it will stand. But if it's just about you, it's going to go away. And that's a test for our hearts. It challenges us. I was talking to Corrine the other day, and I was just telling her, you know, I find myself getting really involved and emotionally caught up with people who are going through problems. And I'm, it's kind of weird because it's not even people like I'm really close to. They're just people I know and I see them going through something and all of a sudden my start, heart starts hurting for them and I start having this compassion for them and it's like, man, that's really not like me. I know me. I'm not like that. Didn't mean to pop my own balloon here, but, but what it is, is God producing things that are of value in me. And you see, those are the things that make me stand in awe and just say, oh my gosh, God, you really are working in me. You really are changing my heart and making me care for people that you care about. You're really producing something of value that will last in me. And it's a great thing to see. I can't take credit for it. I'm not like that, really. I'm pretty selfish. Ask my wife. Um, It's okay. You don't need to. Uh, But the work will be shown for what it is. Our motivation is very important. He goes on in verse 16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. Now this is the scripture I was telling you about earlier where people use it in regards to suicide saying, well, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit and if we destroy that temple, God will destroy us. But the context here is the church. In fact, that word that says, and don't you know that you yourselves, the reason the NIV says you yourselves is because it's trying to express that this is a plurality. It's not something that's just singular, okay? It's something that is there to connect you to something more. Um, it, It has to do with the church as a whole. You yourselves, the body of believers, 
That's what he's dealing with here, not just specifically one person. Our God's temple, that God's spirit lives in you. And if anyone destroys what? The church. Remember what he's been talking about. He's been talking about it since chapter 1, that tearing apart. I'm of Paul, I'm of Paul. I'm tearing apart the body of Christ. If anyone starts to do that, God's going to deal with them. Okay? This it's not a verse about suicide. It's the same that Paul is trying to, to drive home. He's been hovering around it the whole time so far. You see, what they're doing is threatening the holiness of God's own church. They're, they're picking a fight with the Holy Spirit, and God says, I'm not playing games with you people. I'm not taking this lightly. I built this church on the blood of my son. And you're going to sit here and start quarreling with each other and start tearing it apart. You come into it and you start picking teams, you start gossiping, you start critiquing, you start tearing apart. Don't mess with what is mine. And he's very serious about this, and this is the whole point of this chapter in the immaturity and the maturity. It's quit quarreling with each other it's not about you. This is my church. I've shared this before. You know, how many churches are there in the city of Upland? There's only one. And it's his. And we get to be a part of it. And don't spend your energy picking fights and tearing the body of Christ. God says, I'm not going to tolerate that. I will deal with you if you deal like that. And that's what this verse is talking about. It's a warning for their benefit so that they will get out of this rut, this pit that they're in, and start actually being used by God instead of fighting with each other. Oh, they act spiritual. They raise their hands. They praise God. They worship. They do all these things, and then they go home and they say, oh, did you see so-and-so? I can't believe her. I know. Did you see what she was wearing? I know. And I don't know who he thinks he is. He thinks he's all better than me. I've been to school. He hasn't. And they're talking about the pastor. Uh, <laughs> he goes on in verse 18. He says, do not deceive yourselves. And boy, we need to take that to heart because that's really what happens. We deceive ourselves when we think more of ourselves than we really ought to. If any one of you thinks he's wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise. I love that. I even heard a bell when I said it. <laughs> Just has a ring to it. You see, if you think you're wise, if you have this idea that, you know, you're the Elks Club and you're the Grand Pooba, you know, and, and that it's your wisdom that's going to help you to receive status, then, you know, it'd be better for you to become a fool and put away such nonsense so that you can really be wise. So that you can really have clarity in your understanding. That's what he's talking to them about. In verse 19, for the wisdom of this world, it's foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise are futile. 
verse 21, he says, so then, no more boasting about men. Stop it. Stop boasting about men. All things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. You are so focused on things that are so small. You're worried about cutting in front of someone when there's the ride in front of you that is waiting for you. you you're so focused on these little things when there is an awesome God who has so much for you, more than you could ask, more than you can think, more than you can imagine for your life, but you're in turmoil about where you are at with each other. Why are you settling for so much less than what God has to offer you? Your babies. You're not spiritual. You're worldly. Knock it off and move forward with the understanding of what God has for you, that he has everything. That we are seated with him in heavenly places, Ephesians tells us. That the riches of God belong to us. Because you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, you are of Christ. Christ has you. And Christ is of God. So the things of God belong to you because of Jesus. So quit lifting men up and focus on Jesus. That's what matters. Let's pray. Lord God, it's our nature to be quarrelsome. We've done it since we were children. We, we do it continually. We envy everything from automobiles to clothes to status. And so many times we try and lift ourselves up by putting other people down. Lord, we just need to knock it off. We need to love your kingdom, God. We need to recognize what the church really is. That it's not a human organization, but it's your body that you poured your blood out for. It's important that we understand these things. And we don't have to agree with everything everyone says, but we do have to have a recognition that we belong to you, that our brothers and sisters belong to you, and we need to move forward in our walk with you. And so, Lord, I pray that we hear that at Genesis, Lord, I know this exists, where we think we're, we're better because we're more contemporary or whatever. Lord, let's not boast in men. Let's hide in Jesus. And recognize that is where the maturity is, is in seeing the will of God displayed in our lives. And see you at work within us, Lord. Father, I do pray for Julie's mom. I pray you would touch and heal her. Father, I pray for 
these people who I'm in counsel with who are struggling. Father, that you would deliver them. I pray for the needs that are here that I, I know of, God, people who are hurting financially, who are hurting spiritually. For those who just can't let go, God, I pray that they would grow up and realize that this isn't about us. This is about you. And if we're found in you, Lord, you will be honored and glorified. And so I do pray that that would be the case, Lord Jesus. And we do ask this in your name, Father. Amen.